Hello, I'm Catherine de Volder. This is Thinking Out Loud, conversations with leading philosophers from around the world on topics that concern us all. This is a special edition on ethical questions raised by the corona pandemic. This time I will talk to Moti Goren, assistant professor at Colorado State University. He argues that when we can't treat everyone because medical resources are scarce, we should sometimes give priority to patients who are parents of dependent children. I think this view has intuitive appeal, but it is also extremely controversial. So let's dig a bit deeper into the arguments in support of it. The question which COVID-19 patients um, we should treat when we can't treat them all because we just don't have enough medical resources is uh, a really difficult question. And it seems like all um, proposed approaches have some problems. But what you propose um, is even more controversial because you think that we should take into account uh, whether a patient is a parent, right, or a caregiver. Can you just explain your view a little bit? The view I want to um, sort of suggest, and I think, you know, I would like to see implemented, um, I think that uh, one's status as a primary care- caregiver to dependent children has a... Um, uh, it, is, is, a worth, is a moral consideration that ought to be taken into account, along with whatever other mix we're already taking into account. It's not that you prioritize parents above everything else. How heavily this consideration ought to be weighted, I leave kind of open. Um, I think at its weakest, at the weakest level, it could serve as a sort of tiebreaker. Um, you might give it more weight and let it outweigh, um, I don't know, prognosis or a certain degree of prognosis or something like that. But I leave that sort of an open question. What I want to sort of establish is that we're missing something of moral importance when we fail to take parental status into consideration. This is quite controversial because many people think that medicine should only be concerned with health, right? So what is it about this parental role that makes it so important? Why should we take that into consideration? Well, I can tell you just so so the way I started thinking about this sort of anecdotally is sort of autobiographically is I I had several years ago, I had a bit of a health scare. I had a melanoma on my arm and this is a potentially deadly skin cancer and I had it removed. But um, and it was early stage, no problem. Um, But upon getting this news, it's, of course, frightening. And at the time, my children, they're still young, but they were very young. And one of my first thoughts was, well, this isn't going to be good for them. And thinking about the ways in which it's bad for children to lose a parent got me thinking um, about how that, what what role that might play, that badness might Mm -hmm. play in distributive schemes. There are lots of different dimensions along which um, the death of a a parent can be bad for a child. Because I want the argument to work in a pluralistic society, I had to find an argument that doesn't... um, um, appeal to some controversial conception of the good, right? It's not that parents are more socially valuable. It's not that parents are virtuous. They're choosing a good life like you might get from some uh, religious conservatives, for example, at least in the United States, believe right, there's something intrinsically valuable about having children and, and this kind of thing. And there's something wrong with you if you don't. Can appeal to those sort of controversial conceptions of the good. Now, as it turns out, um, there is a, a fairly good uh, literature, empirical literature, on the health effects 
um, of parental death on children. Yet kids with higher rates of depression, higher rates of mental health problems, up to and including suicide. Now that you've got a health implication, it seems like doctors can no longer say, oh, we're not concerned about social value. We're not here to save uh, the banker because they help grease the wheels of the economy. We're not going to make those judgments. We, can, we only care about clinical criteria. Well, we've got clinical criteria here. And so I appeal just to the health benefits to the child of benefiting the parent. Just to clarify, so does it matter whether, for example, the parent has more children or whether the children are, for example, young, young children um, or, for example, children with a disability? Um, yeah, so I would need to look more deeply at the empirical mm -hmm. literature um, or we would need to speak to somebody who studies this stuff. On the one hand, you might think, well, look, um, so here's, let's just say, a mother of one child and here's a mother of five children. And let's suppose you're deciding between them. You might think on the one hand, you should save the mother of five children because you're going to reduce harm among five people mm -hmm, exactly. rather than reducing harm among. But you also might think, well, maybe there is some kind of an insulating effect against the loss of a parent by having a number of siblings. Right. Yeah. And I don't I don't know the answer to that. Right. That's an empirical question. But, I don't know whether it's. Been yeah. But you're sort of open to the the possibility that we might have to take into account these sure. differences if if it turns out that some groups have a, a much worse health effect of the death of a parent that's right the way i'm the way i've approached uh, this project is i look at the um the rationale provided by the bioethicists and policymakers who mm -hmm. have been writing about resource allocation and conditions of scarcity. And the more recent papers have come out and the thinking that's been done with respect to the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm -hmm. And what you see there, rightly or wrongly, right, is a real emphasis on maximizing health outcomes. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're trying primarily to save as many lives as you can and also to save as many life years as you can mm -hmm. with certain constraints grounded in injustice. Mm -hmm. And so I assume that broad theoretical framework just because there's only so many fights you can pick at once. And so I, I want to introduce parental status as a moral consideration. And I want to say, given what's, what we're already committed to, we ought to be committed to this. Then there's, of course, um, a question about where to draw the line. So if yes. we should prioritize parents because of, of the indirect health benefits on others. I mean, should we prioritize other patients who also have indirect um, health effects on, on others? Like healthcare yeah. workers themselves have def definitely have health uh, effects on other people, of course. If they die, yes. then many other people will die. So do you think um, we should also prioritize healthcare workers? I, I do think we should. Frontline healthcare workers have instrumental value. When I save you, the doctor, you, the doctor, go on and save other lives. We need doctors to save lives. There are also some who argue that we owe some kind of, we have a duty of reciprocity. Healthcare workers put themselves at risk for the benefit mm -hmm. of others. And so when they themselves become ill, society, we should, you know, we should, we mm -hmm. should sort of pay them back in a way. Health and Human Services some years ago had a policy out for uh, how to prioritize influenza vaccines mm -hmm. in the case of a pandemic. And one of the first groups to be prioritized were pregnant women and mothers 
or parents or anybody who was in close proximity to the children who were six months of age and younger. Mm -hmm. The reason being uh, a child that's six months or younger couldn't take the vaccine directly. And so what you do is you provide a kind of herd immunity mm -hmm. around that child. What's going on there? Why prioritize a parent of a six month old or, or younger child? Well, because when you do that, you might save two lives rather than mm -hmm. one. And I think my proposal sort of follows yeah. this very similar line of argument. Just um, one more question about uh, drawing the line. There are several arguments to prioritize healthcare workers. Uh, but what about like, I mean, there are other people who have indirect health effects, for example, someone who employs many people. I mean, if, if yeah. all these people lose their jobs, that will definitely have mental and even yeah other health effects. Here I, I'm sort of torn. There are one of two ways, uh, to, one of two routes to go. And I'm, uh, I'll explain what they are. So the first route was to just accept that and mm -hmm. say, sure. Just it's a matter of consistency, right? If saving this person would, would um, be instrumentally valuable with respect to uh, maximizing health, then we ought to give that person some priority. Another route is to say, no, there's something that might, it might not be unique to parenting. Mm -hmm. It might not be unique to uh, being a primary caregiver of dependent children, but there is something um, at least unusual and special about that role as it relates to health. There are certain... Um, benefits or sources of benefits that you might call fungible. Uh, I mean, we like to sort of um, glorify creative, large employers, but you know, uh, I don't know, Steve Jobs died and Apple goes on. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, there's a important roles that can be filled by maybe not anyone, but by more than one person, but it's not as if a new human individual can mm -hmm. come in and They can give you some support and love, but it's not your parents. There's something um, very distinctive and idiosyncratic mm -hmm. about that particular individual, and it has to be that individual in order to achieve the full benefit. And so, the other the other way I could I might argue is say no, um, it doesn't need to be uh, only parents, but certainly parents have a special relationship with their children, and that's going to affect the health outcomes. Right. I think the special relationship is quite plausible. But then, of course, <laughs> the next question is, I mean, there are other relationships that are very special. So yes. it could, for example, be that you have dependent parents um, yes. or, for example, a really close friend. So my best friend, we, we've been friends since we were three years old. So that's completely wow. irreplaceable yes. um, and unique in, in a way yes. that like a parent child relationship could be uh, unique. So what do we do yes. with other sort of Relationship yeah. so I, mean, I, I mean, one thing I can say here is that sort of graphically speaking, morally speaking, yes, they should be granted some priority. As a practical matter, there are just too many variables involved in assessing whether this particular friendship meets the bar mm -hmm. or this particular sibling caring relationship would really have an adverse effect on that particular individual. The yeah. practical difficulties seem to me to be insurmountable. Whereas with parenting policy-wise, it's a fairly easy, clean-cut um, principle. Um, and you're going to get it wrong sometimes, but we get it wrong sometimes now yeah. in the sense that you can prioritize the person with the better prognosis. It turns out they leave the hospital and they get hit by a bus. And so you wasted the, you wasted the liver. Yeah. Of course. But, yeah. you know, 
yeah. sort of the obvious concern some people may have is that your proposal would be quite unfair for uh, parents who don't have children yes. and maybe for several reasons so one reason I thought was well someone might say parents um, people sorry people who don't have children yes. already contribute via taxes like financially quite a lot yes to the education of, of children and so on. And yes. then they come in this situation and then they have to sacrifice their lives. So that seems yes. quite unfair. Yes. Um, so that's one concern, yeah. Yes, so, so I think this is actually the strongest objection to my view. And you might frame it in terms of uh, unjust discrimination. So my response here, and I'd be curious to see what you think. Um, I, sort, I think I, I sort of developed a clever response here, but um, it's dangerous to think we're too clever. Um, so what I wanna say here is it, it, it's true that the parent gets an advantage relative to the non-parent. And it's not, a, it's not a trivial advantage. Their lives are being saved. But the rationale for doing so is grounded in the well-being of the child. All of us, whether we're parents or not, were once dependent children. So although I, as a hypothetically, if I did not have children, I today can't get the benefit, but I would have been, it would have been open for me to get the benefit had one of my parents been ill. And so in principle, nobody is being excluded because everybody, like it or not, is born in a particular way and has caretakers or else you wouldn't make it past one day of life. That, that sounds quite plausible to me, actually. The parents <laughs> find this very plausible. Yeah. <laughs> Some people may think that sort of the, the parents then are sort of used as a mere means, I suppose, yes. uh, because yes. we only look at them like insofar as as they are valuable to the health of, mm -hmm. of their children. And maybe some people might have objections about that. I don't find it that plausible, but I, I, I can imagine yeah. some people finding that a little bit disturbing because normally medicine is really about the health of the patient. So the one thing I want to say is um, the parent also has to, quite independently of their parental status, achieve a certain score by other metrics, mm -hmm. prognosis or, right. So if this parent already has stage four cancer, they're not gonna get the organ or the ventilator or whatever um, for, for that reason. Um, so you're already recognizing, right, this, the parent as an independent person because they have to make, they have to clear a certain bar And secondly, um, I'm assuming here that the standard process of getting people's informed consent is at play and that if a parent were to say, no, don't give me the ventilator, no, don't give me the organ, no, don't give me the vaccine, we wouldn't force it upon them. And so the um, we, we couldn't use them as a mere means so long as we insist, as of course we would, on adequate informed consent mechanisms. Mm -hmm. I think the more difficult question is whether we could force a parent who says no to undergo the, in order to benefit the child, just as we, we don't allow parents to neglect their children when they need cancer therapies. Yeah. So I think that would be a tough question. That's really interesting. Well, yeah. we're, gonna, we're gonna force you to get the liver because if we don't save your life, your child is at increased risk of suicide. Yeah you have to take up your parental responsibility and this is a, right. one way of doing it. Yeah. That's right, yeah. And the way you're talking um, gives me the impression that your proposal 
not only applies in when there's a pandemic, but that you think parental status should be taken into account, like in normal circumstances when there are scarce, yes. scarce medical resources? I do. So right now, the way we distribute in the United States, the way we distribute intensive care unit beds is first come, first serve. Mm -hmm. Nobody I've read really likes that policy, but you can imagine why clinicians like it, because once you've got a patient, you have a duty to that patient. And if you give up first come, first serve, you're, you're kicking somebody out of a bed. And that's mm -hmm. a difficult thing to yeah. do. Organ um, allocation policies don't take into account parental status. Um, I think they should. And that's independent of a pandemic. Any healthcare resource allocation um, mechanism should, I think, take into account parental status when resources are, are scarce. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this Thinking Out Loud interview. You can also watch Thinking Out Loud videos on YouTube on the Practical Ethics channel and remain up to date via the Thinking Out Loud Facebook page.